The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Now here's my uh, pastoral confession. Man, we set out on this series from the Garden to the City, going through each book of the Bible, one book a week, and it has exhausted me because it is so much more reading than I anticipated, and I love reading. On the scale of nerdiness, one out of ten, I'm probably somewhere hovering around a 9.7. But this has been so much reading and uh, fatigue, and now we're coming down. We've done the major prophets. We've done a handful of the very popular minor prophets. But over the next two weeks, I'm going today, we're going to talk about the concept that the minor prophets have in nearly across the board that they are talking about, and that is the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord, if you're hearing this phrase, if you grew up in the church, you might be thinking, oh, I know what this is. This is like the turn and burn. This is God is coming. God is angry. And you are partially right. It is also God coming to restore God coming to put things the way that he had designed them to be for all of eternity. So we are going to be jamming through a ton of Bible verses today. Uh, So if you can't keep up, don't worry. You can just email me if you want some notes and say, hey, can you please send me the scriptures if you wanted to get some of these. But the reason for this is so that next week we can get from the Garden of Eden where we started. And next week we're going to end in Revelation 21 in the city. And then we're going to be kicking into our new series uh, on Mother's Day actually. So that is what we are doing today. The first verse we're going to be in is going to be Amos chapter 5. And like I said, we are going to be flipping around like crazy today. So if you are a super Bible driller, then go for it. If not, the verses will be on the screen. I'm going to pray, and we are going to get in. Father, I thank you for your power. I thank you for your word. I thank you that one day you are going to end the misery of sin and death and sickness and disease and injustice. I thank you that you have chosen to love us while we were yet sinners, that you would die for us to bring us in so that when the day of the Lord comes, those who place their faith in you, God, we will enter into your kingdom. We will be embraced with your love and we will behold your glory. Help us today to take this concept of the day of the Lord and and lay it over our lives as a grid for hope and for perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's always somebody bigger, right? Anyone here play sports? Who are the sports players? Okay, the sports players. Here's what I love about sports players, that we always get better as we age. Isn't that weird? Like, I was only so good as a 17-year-old, but then when I became like a 25-year-old, my 17-year-old self was even better. And now in my 30s, I mean, I was practically an All-American. By the time I have grandkids, they're going to be like, Grandpa, why weren't you in the Hall of Fame? Because the fables just get bigger. It's just like fishing. Like fishermen, you know, they always catch the fish that's this big. It's the same thing, but there's something about the day of the Lord where there is always a foreshadow. The day of the Lord is this concept that the prophets talked about, and the first time we see it chronologically in the Bible, so not in Bible book order, because if you don't know this, the Bible is actually not in the order chronologically. It's in an order for um, basically historical placement. But chronologically, Amos is the first prophet who talks about it. And in Amos chapter 5, verse 18, this is the first mention of it. He says this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord. It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. 
or went into the house and leaned his hands against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it at all? Now this sounds terrifying. This is fuel for the fire of angry preachers. The day of the Lord is coming. It is darkness. If you don't turn, you will be trapped by a bear, bit by a serpent, wandering around in the dark. Now, the the day of the Lord has some historical significance. And one of the things I wanted us to learn from this series is the flow of God's story. Because we start in the garden where everything's good and then it goes bad. And then the Israelites end up making their way and they become enslaved in Egypt. And then Moses comes in with the power of God and frees the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, this is the first big archetype. It's a word we're going to use today. If you're not familiar with it, it's a foreshadowing. It's a figural type of what the eventual day of the Lord is going to be, which is why the Jewish people to this day will celebrate Passover, to remember what happened and what God did, and to look forward to the day that he's going to finish it all. Exodus was the first archetype of what the ultimate uh, restoration of all things will be. And then we had the judges and the kings, and then the kings went really bad, And then the the kingdom divided, and then God sent in big, bad Babylon. And these prophets, for the most part, are writing to that, because now the Israelites are captive, and they're wanting relief. They're wanting a day of the Lord to come. They've been oppressed. And the, the unjust people, the wicked people, Amos is saying, and the prophets are saying, wait, because the day of the Lord is coming. There's someone bigger and badder than Babylon that's coming. There's someone that was bigger and badder than the Egyptians that came and rescued them. Amos says, wait, the day of the Lord is coming. But then he says, be be weary though, because it is not going to be all peaches and cream. I I remember the first time playing basketball against somebody who was significantly larger than me. I've generally had this frame my whole life. And I was playing on a traveling basketball team, and we came up on a team, and before the team, we're shooting around, we're on our side, they're on their side, All I hear is their team calling someone the fridge, okay? I'm more like the green bean. And when the game started, I I saw, because because of my height, they always like, oh, you're tall, so you better go down there. And I looked at this this man-child, the fridge. I was about 15 or 16 at the time. I'm pretty sure this guy was like 25 and just snuck into a high school league. You guys know the type, right? They're those kids that hit puberty like in the fourth grade. They show up with a beard when you're still, like, cracking your voice. This was the fridge. Just a monster human being. And I'm here. I'm like, okay, the fridge. And I could do nothing to to get past the fridge. I would take the ball in, and it felt like I just ran into a brick wall. If my eyes were closed, I would just say, boom, that's a wall. I'm going to go another way. But it wasn't. It was the fridge with his furly goatee just standing. Not only was the fridge bigger than me, the fridge was faster than me, was stronger than me could jump higher than me. That day, I ran into something that was inevitably going to defeat me. And at the end of the day, I had to be resolved and say, I I can't overcome this. I need someone to get behind him, get on all fours so I could push him down. This is the only way I'm going to get through this is by cheating. Too often, I think, what we do in these moments, we have life moments like this where we run into life's version of the fridge. And we look at it and we say, this is too big, this is too bad, there's no way I'm going to overcome this. This is a moment of of what we'll call the archetype. This is the moment where you come up against something 
like the Israelites came up against Exodus and God rescued them. These prophets are complaining, Babylon is crushing us, get us out of here, where's the day that God's going to deliver us? And God says, look, I am going to deliver you, but it's not going to be like you think. Because when God's judgment comes, I mean, that verse is, is fairly clear. Fled from a lion and you meet a bear. You lean against your hand on the wall and a serpent bites you. The day of the Lord is going to come and it's going to change everything about the way life was run before. And there is an actual, literal, figural, uh, literal day where it's coming. Babylon ended. These prophets that were prophesying against Babylon, Babylon got wiped off the face of the earth in 539 B.C., just wiped out. The Assyrians came in. Cyrus said, you're done. So then the prophets point to a greater day. And here's some other verses that, that I think point to this. Isaiah 2.12 says, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up and shall be brought low. This is what the day of the Lord is coming against, the proud and the lofty. We've talked about this before. If you want to be an enemy of God, be proud. If you want God to be the fridge that you go up against, live your life with you at the center. Live your life with you being consumed with your thoughts and not with God's thoughts. The day of the Lord is coming against those who are proud. And if this is scaring you, it's going to only get scarier. This is from Joel 1.15. Alas, for the day... For the day of the Lord is near, and destruction from the Almighty, it comes. That day we got destroyed, destroyed on the basketball court. It wasn't close at all. When, when God's ultimate day of the Lord comes, because there was a type of a day of the Lord with Exodus, a type with Babylon being removed by the Persians, when the ultimate day of the Lord comes, there is going to be a destruction that has such finality that all who witness it will stand in awe. And this is maybe something we don't want to talk about because it is scary. It is terrifying. It's the ultimate dad voice of dad voices. For those of you who don't know what that means, um, my wife can say something to the kids. I could say the exact same thing with my bat dad voice, and the kids will go. And, and I know that there's also mom voice. Mom voice is scarier than dad voice because moms have more patient, right? So he goes, nice mom voice angry dad voice, and then queen of the harpies mom voice, at which the dad shudders and locks himself in the bathroom as well and just says, kids, keep your head down. We're going to be okay. <laughs> and then there's day of the Lord when destruction is terrifying, more so than anything that you've experienced or will experience. And there's a day coming when God will sift through and bring his final judgment on all things. And these prophets are pointing us to that moment. They're pointing us to the day when God returns and ends the way that things are and begins with the way things will be for all of eternity. The day of the Lord is near. Did you know that every generation since the time of Jesus has thought Jesus was going to return in their generation? Isn't that really cool? Like, so Paul is there thinking, I saw him once on that road to Damascus. Anytime, Jesus, I'm waiting for you. Paul even told people in Corinthians, hey, everybody, no one get married. Jesus is coming back really, really soon. So whatever you're doing, just do that because Jesus is coming. Don't get married. Don't do anything. Don't change. Just keep working, and then he's going to rip the sky open and come, and everything's going to end. And then after a little while, Paul realized, maybe not. I better write some rules for marriage because these people are jacked up. And then he wrote Ephesians. 
And every generation, it happens. We see preachers that will buy billboard space and say, the Lord is going to return on this date at this time, and it's going to be somewhere over probably, I don't know, Tampa, Florida? Probably not. It's too humid here. It's already hellish here. He's going to go somewhere nicer where people can experience judgment that we don't experience every summer. But, but where is he? Where is he going to come? When is he going to come? I loved that guy that did it in California a few years ago. He put billboards up and down the coast, and it made national news. And he had the time, the date, and then he, he just ate his words. And it's weird because the Bible says, no one knows the day or time that God is coming. But I'll tell you what, I think he's coming to my generation. Just like the rest of those guys. And he may or may not come in my generation. Now, I think I have a better case for it as, the, as a person who's just looking at history. The Bible says that the gospel is going to go out into all the world. And for the first time in history in this generation, in my children's generation, we actually have cataloged every ethno-linguistic group in the entire world and there's organizations that are literally going down and saying, who's going to go here? Plant a church, share the gospel, check. And they're just going down the list. So by the end of mine or my kid's generation, there should be, unless we are lazy bums, churches in every ethno-linguistic group in the world. And the Bible says that there's one last person that's going to come to faith. And at that moment, God's plan seals and his return is imminent. There is going to come earthquakes and terror. There's going to be wrath and fear. This is one aspect of the day of the Lord. This is one aspect of what is coming. This is one aspect of what the prophets point to. Now, I, I racked my brain to think of a better illustration for this because I know this won't make sense to any of you that were born in Florida. But the Bible is set up somewhat like a mountain range. So for those of you who grew up here and you don't know what this is, just imagine with me from Discovery Channel, okay? When you're at a mountain and you stand up and look at the, the, the front of it, it looks massive, unconquerable. I've climbed mountains. When Bear Grylls came out, do you guys remember that show, Man vs. Wild? I literally went out. My wife went on vacation. I blew $500 at REI and pretended to be Bear Grylls, and I made it about a quarter of the way through the flatlands to the mountain before I was inhaling my inhaler. The mountain, you, you see it, and if you're in front of one mountain in a range, if you've been to a mountain range before, you know that at the base of a mountain, all you see is the one mountain. But if you hop in a helicopter and you fly one direction, maybe 20 miles away from the mountain range, you look back at it, what do you see? You see some foothills. I'll do it this way for you. Foothills that are small, and then they go all the way up to the big Rockies. They go all the way up to the peaks of Tahoe. They go all the way up to the tops of the Appalachians. But it starts off slow. But sometimes in our lives, as is with the day of the Lord, the Israelites were like, we're going to get freed from Egypt. And God said, yes, you are, but this is just a foothill. This is a foothill so that you know that I'm faithful. And then they had a good season, and then Babylon comes in, and Nebuchadnezzar, and the lion, the den, the fire, boom. And, and they say, surely, God, this is the end. You're going to deliver us, and you're going to crush everything bad. And God says, well, yeah, I'm going to crush bad, but it's still just a foothill. And we are to remember the foothills because eventually they point to the ultimate day of the Lord. These, these foothills, these small mountains, they're pointing to something that's greater where, where, where God will conquer all with finality. Now, we have foothills in our own lives. Some of us are facing these moments where evil has literally messed up so much of our lives we cannot function. And it may be something 
that's relatively small, it may be a debilitating uh, disease or illness that you have to live with, that's, that's a type of foothill that one day God will conquer all of that badness and free you. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Somebody passes away, you think, I, I can't go on doing this. My wife and I talk all the time, not all the time, but you, as you know, I, I love thinking about death and the afterlife and eternity. So we talk about like, I'm going to die first. I've just established this. Mostly because I'm older and you guys have stressed me out so much, my beard has turned almost solid gray, okay? But my wife says, well, I've had brain surgery, so I'm going to die first. And I tell her, well, I'm just going to bang my brain against a wall and then I'll die first. And we're both like racing to do it. But then I start thinking like, okay, wait a second. If my wife actually died, like any time between now and the next 60 years, I would be helpless. And I don't mean that in like the sarcastic, I need my wife way. I'm, I mean that in like the literal, I would not know what to do with my children in my house. If she, if she passed away, that would be my, my, that'd be my thing. Like, okay, God, I don't even know what's going on here. And I know people... It happens to people, happens to dads, happens to moms. That's a type of a day of the Lord. And you face up against this massive mountain, and you might think, there's no way I can overcome it. But I've had friends that have gone through tragedies. I've had friends that have faced down stage four cancer. I've had friends that have lost spouses. I've had friends that have lost their children to tragic accidents. And in the midst of those moments, it's like you're standing at the the base of what seems to be insurmountable and you think there's no way I'm going to get over it. And then God gets you over it and you look back and you say, wow, that, I actually made it over that with God's help. God carried me over this mountain. But then you look in front of you and what's there again sometimes? Another mountain and another mountain. Don't let these things be wasted. These moments are for you to see God's faithfulness. These are moments for you to remember what God has carried you through so that you can trust what he will get you through in the future. These are moments where even though the judgment will be terrible, there is in the New Testament this, this second part of what the day of the Lord is. The day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ, the ultimate day of the Lord. A barista at my coffee shop asked me recently, he said, do you think that everyone will know when Jesus returns? And I said, absolutely. And then he said, do you think that technology is going to play a part? And I said, absolutely not. I don't think the king of creation, the maker of the universe, needs Twitter. That's just my hunch. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, he will come like a thief. And then all heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Okay, now let's paint a picture. Because when I say the day of the Lord, or when we talk about end times, our brains are firing in different directions, depending on how you grew up. You may be going to the rapture books, left behind. We, we always used to play these pranks when I was a, a middle school teacher at a Baptist uh, private school. We, we played a prank on this kid named Taylor, because he fell asleep every day. So this was a well-planned prank. I had everyone bring extra clothes 
one day and to teach a Bible lesson to him. When he fell asleep, I had everyone pile up their clothes on their chairs and the ground. And then we just snuck out. And we had been talking about the end times, and I'd been drumming up this craziness and fear. And it was one of the best moments of my teaching career. <laughs> because when Taylor woke up, I mean, it takes a middle schooler a little bit of time because the, the, the gerbil's got to spin the wheel. But he woke up and began looking around, and we had already been talking about end times. And this kid fell asleep every day. I just wanted to get him. And all of a sudden, he starts seeing, like, pants and a shoe and a sweatshirt and backpacks. And, I, and nobody making any noise in the hallway. We were just sitting in the hallway, and I had my little eyeball around the corner. And then you see panic sit over his face. And then you see him realize, I'm Kirk Cameron. I was left behind. He, he was pretty afraid, and I got in a moderate amount of trouble. I mean, not moderate. It wasn't like when I got called in for breaking the dress code as a teacher. It was just... It was like the third time I think I got called to the principal's office as an educator. But you know what he never did again? <laughs> he never fell asleep again. He, after he knew it was a joke, I mean, he tried to fall asleep with physically. He would do one of these that you guys do sometimes on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, I see you. It's okay. I know you were out late last night. That's why you're here. You need Jesus this morning. But Peter says that these things that are happening this day of the Lord, now I, I'm, I'm an old school guy. I'm not one of these, uh, the new school I'll call them, because it's only been for the last couple hundred years that the day of the Lord in modern Christianity has meant there's this rapture, and then there's seven years where just God is just bombing the world, bow, 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 and then Jesus comes again after the rapture. So the rapture, for those of you who don't know, is this part of the, the Left Behind series or, or that version of theology where God's going to suck everyone up that's living that believes in him. And he's going to leave the, the toads behind. And then those people are going to endure seven years of just utter chaos, at the end of which Jesus is going to come back and end the deal. What this verse says, melt everything so that it can be recreated. Now this is terrifying stuff. I, I'm the old camp. I'm like the, a bunch of the dead guys. Those guys are the ones that I love most because I know they crossed the finish line. Like they loved Jesus, lived for him, and then died because there, there have been living guys that I like and they kind of act a fool toward the end of their life. And I'm like, I can't say that I like them anymore. So I like the dead guys. And the dead guys generally had, for the most part of Christendom, this belief that uh, God was working through human history. And then however you want to dice down what happens, there is going to be one singular definitive moment where Jesus ends it all. Where he comes and he pulls up his people, raises the dead, compiles bodies and remakes and resurrects us. And then the world that is filled with sin is destroyed with fire and a new world is created on which the city of New Jerusalem will sit and from it will flow living waters. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more sickness or pain or tears or death. This is the day of the Lord, and it's going to come quick. It's not going to come expected. It's not going to come at a moment where you're thinking it's going to be there. It's never going to come, I don't think, on a day where the billboard is predicting it. That's the only thing that I knew for sure about those billboards. I just laughed when I saw them. I'm like, that's the time he's for sure not going to come. And maybe he would Jesus juke me and do that anyway. 
But in that moment, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Guess, guess who is righteous? Those who are in Jesus. So if your faith is in Jesus, you are righteous because you are covered in him. The new heavens and the new earth will not be a place for those who are not righteous. And by righteous, I'm not using the church version of it. I'm not saying the new heavens and the new earth is for the very, very, very good, best-behaving people. I'm saying it's for people who have faith in Jesus. And because of that faith in Jesus, they are compelled to be good. Because some of us will be messed up rascals till the day that Jesus takes us to heaven. Like I said, it's happening in our generation, my generation. If you're older than me, you're going to meet Jesus the old-fashioned way. If you're my age or younger, you get to fly at least one time. I know some of you are thinking, you're so morbid. Someone asked me, so is it okay to be cremated or should I be buried? And we ended up talking about the day of the Lord. I said, well, think about it. Because it's happening in my generation. If you're cremated, because I used to want to be cremated. And I, I tell my wife, I want half my ashes over in Hawaii and put another half just somewhere on the other side of the world. So when Jesus begins whipping my body back together, the ashes are going to fly in like something out of a George Lucas film and swirl up and just create me. And I'll be like, bling. But then I thought, I don't want my last image that I give to my family of like my body being consumed by fire because that's hell. So maybe I want to be buried because I'm going to go to the worms anyway. I'm going to go to dirt. And so then my family can say, look, he's just being buried and he's going to wake up again soon. But I don't know if I like that either because it's like I'm not really sleeping at that point. If I'm not dancing by the time my funeral is happening on earth, I don't know what's going on because the Bible talks about dancing. I'm going to dance with God. I'm going to be in that line. I mean, imagine how long that, that money dance is. Just waiting for Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the problem. Here, here's why I talk about heaven the way that I do. I think too many of us avoid this concept of the day of the Lord and the end times far too often. I think we're afraid of it. And I think part of us should be. Because if you're anything like me, there's people in your life who do not know Jesus, who do not love Jesus, place their faith in Jesus, value Jesus as their treasure. It's not about how good you can be. It's about how much you are in the one who is righteous. It's not about all the things you can cut out of your life that are bad and the, ad, the good things you can add. I mean, it's good to do some of those things. I'd rather be your friend if you were less of a jerk. But that is not what determines your eternal life. That is not what determines whether you will be resurrected and with God or apart from God forever. Because one day when the new heavens and the new earth are formed, we will dwell in that massive city of God forever with gold streets. I will live hopefully by some of you. I will live hopefully not by some of you. I'm hoping to meet some new people. Next week, we are aimed squarely at Revelation 21. Next week, we are going to do a Q&A thing again because we are going to be talking about heaven. And everyone has questions about heaven. Like, do you really think that four-year-old boy went there? So read Revelation 21, and we are going to complete the journey from the garden to the city, and we are going to see why God has called us to place our faith in Jesus 
and we are going to hopefully next week experience what it will be like in the new Jerusalem. I have a hunch it'll be somewhat like it is on those Sunday mornings where it's every song was your favorite, where the pastor told just the right jokes, where you got just the right amount of hugs, where the coffee was perfectly brewed, where the weather was perfectly temperate, temperate, where your kids perfectly obeyed on the way to church and after, where you didn't get a sneeze or a sniffle because every oak tree in Florida is trying to reproduce. I think that it, that's the, the taste that we get. And then, of course, followed up with like the best sushi lunch that you could ever have. Man, I'm getting ahead of myself because I just really want to talk about being with Jesus, you guys. So I'm going to pray. Invite up Edwin. We're going to get after it. Father, the day of the Lord is coming. Lord, you, you've, I, I just want to be with you. So if it could happen today... I pray that you would draw all of those in my life who I've been praying for to finally know your love and grace and that after they have made that profession of faith, you would rip the sky open in return. Help us to understand the balance of the day of the Lord, that it will come with terror for those who do not know you and it will also come with blessings and love and acceptance for those who do. God, help us to wrestle with this doctrine because there are varying ways to interpret some of these passages. But Lord, for those in here today who are facing a trial, who are facing down the effects of sin and death and evil in their lives, I pray that today you would help them look back and see the foothills you have carried them through and look forward to the eventual day when you will melt away all that is evil and broken and all of the things that have been marred by sin. Help us to long for that day in such a way that it compels us to share the good news with all who we see and come across. Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.